Amen. I want to invite you to turn uh, with me in your Bibles to Exodus, um, Exodus chapter 1. I mean, it's good to be with you. It is good to hear your voices in song, and I'm thankful that you're here this morning. Um, If you were here with us last week, you'll know that we began what will be a pretty long um, sermon series, really, it'll stretch all the way into May, um, in the book of Exodus. Um, Last week, we took a look at the first 14 verses of chapter 1, and in that scene, we see God's people, the people of Israel, under the heavy burdens of Pharaoh, under heavy burdens, and it's bitterness, it's bitter service underneath Pharaoh. And we talked about how God's design, the Lord's design in this book is to move his people from slavery and bondage and bitterness and burdens of Pharaoh into the life-giving service and freedom of obedience to the Lord. So it's from hard service to sweet service. That's what freedom actually is in the way the Bible understands it. This morning, we will take a look at the next scene, a pretty familiar one, especially if you've grown up in church. So I'm going to be reading from Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, and as is our custom, we will pair this reading with a reading from the opposite testament, in this case this morning, the Gospel of Matthew. Would you listen listen closely and carefully um, to this God's word to us and for us this morning, verse 15 of Exodus chapter 1. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other one Pua. When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? Then midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife even comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. 
Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. And then from Matthew chapter 2. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in your kindness and in your mercy, we ask in this very moment that you would do the thing that only you can do. Lord, it is the, the thing we must have you do this morning, and that is by the power of your spirit, would you speak? Lord, would you shine light on these words in your word? Would you shine light on the words that I've prepared, and would you use these words to great effect in our hearts and in our souls? That's our prayer, and we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So last week, um, I began with song lyrics. Um, Last week, they were song lyrics from Bob Dylan. And, And this morning, I have more song lyrics for you, but they're definitely not from Bob Dylan. Um, They're from a hymn writer of the 19th century, 18th, 19th century, a hymn writer named William Cooper. William Cooper was a hymn writer who was personally acquainted with a lot of very difficult, personal darkness, suffering, and pain. And in the midst of some of that suffering, he penned the words to this hymn. He writes, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. And then listen to this. Deep in unfathomable minds, think deep, dark, unfathomable, dark places, deep in unfathomable minds with never failing skill, he treasures up bright designs and works his perfect will. What Cooper is saying is in some of the darkest places is where the Lord is doing some of his best I have a friend and I have a mentor, a good bit older than me, who's been a pastor for a lot of years and he's seen a lot of life, he's seen a lot of darkness among people, he's seen a lot of pain and difficulty. And I was talking to him a couple of years ago and I asked him, in all these years of being so acquainted with a lot of darkness and struggle, 
what have you learned? And without even batting an eye, Ronnie looked at me and he said, I've learned that he's always working. He's never not working. He's always, always working. When Ronnie said that, it it strengthened my heart. And see, it's really important to know that this is the way God works. It's incredibly important to know that this is God's way of working in this world. In some of the darkest places, he treasures up some of his best and brightest designs. And it's really important to know that he works that way because if we're not sure that he works that way, if we don't know that he works that way, I'm telling you, we're going to mistake his unconventional ways for him being unconcerned. He's not. He's not unconcerned, but his ways are unconventional. Or or we might mistake God's hiddenness. We might mistake God's hiddenness for his absence, and it's not true. He's never absent, but his ways are often hidden. Or we might mistake his slowness, God's slowness for kind of his idleness, and it's not true. The Lord often works slowly, but he's not idle. And I think our story for this morning that you just heard me read, I think unfolds these ideas. And here's the main thing I want you to hear this morning as we walk through this story. The main thing I want you to hear is something that this story is designed from a storytelling standpoint to bring to the surface. And it's it's this. This is the main thing I want you to hear. God's purposes cannot be stopped. His plans cannot be thwarted. And even more, God is always working, even if in a hidden way, to ensure the success of his plans, to ensure the fulfillment of his promises. He's always working. The main thing I want you to hear this morning is he's never not working. So the way I want to show you this in this story is first I want to make sure that we summarize what's actually happening in this story so far. Throughout our time in Exodus, these these narrative moments will occur, and each, each time we preach here, I'm going to just sort of catch you up on all that's happened so far. So I want to make sure we catch up on what's happened so far. I want to make sure you really catch the gist of what was just read today. So we're going to summarize the story. The second thing I want to do is I want to highlight some of the hidden features of this story. Again, this story is told a certain way in order to show some kind of hidden things that the Lord is doing. And then third, I want to just briefly talk about your situation this morning and mine. Because in this story, I think we can find deep hope and deep comfort this morning. So let's begin with a little bit of a recap. Um, If you remember in chapter one, God's people are increasing. The promise to Abram was that he would have descendants and they would be more numerous than the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky. And God's people are increasing and they're increasing even in Egypt, which is unexpected. 
And, and Pharaoh the king in Egypt feels threatened by the increasing numbers of Israelites that are growing and blossoming and flourishing. And he feels threatened, so he decides to slap onto them hard and bitter service as slaves. But the interesting thing is, is the more he presses them down, the more they grow and multiply because God's promises cannot be stopped. This is a pattern we'll see in Exodus. God's promises, a threat somehow, and then God's provision. So they're, they're, they're pressed down with bitter service, but they keep increasing. And Pharaoh, of course, takes offense to this, and he takes greater kind of threat. And so what he decides to do is to, is to murder the male children of the Hebrews. So he calls the midwives together, and he says, hey, when a Hebrew gives birth, if it's a boy, kill him. If it's a daughter, let her live. God's promises and his purposes cannot be stopped because you have these Hebrew midwives. Because they fear the Lord, they refuse to do what the most powerful person in all the world wants them to do. It's interesting, this is just somewhat of a side note, that, that history doesn't know who this Pharaoh is. Like, we really don't know which Pharaoh. There are lots of Pharaohs in Egypt. Pharaohs come and go. We don't even know the name of this Pharaoh. But for all of history, we do know the name of these midwives, Shifra and Pua. Their names are memorialized forever because of their faithfulness. We don't know the supposedly most powerful person in the world, but we do know these two faithful women. And they refuse to follow the Pharaoh's orders, and they are crafty. They say, hey, we're, you know, we're trying, but the Hebrew midwives are more vigorous. I don't really know what that means. We don't really know what that means exactly. So the Pharaoh feels incensed by this, and he's like, okay, well, well why are you doing this? Why, why won't you obey my orders? Well, you know, we're trying, but they're giving birth too soon. And it says that God's people just keep increasing. Verse 20, so God de dealt well with the midwives, midwives and then the people multiplied and grew very strong because God's promises and purposes cannot be stopped, you see. So Pharaoh is extra frustrated and incensed to even a greater degree. He says, fine. Verse 22, every son that is born to the Hebrews, just cast him into the Nile. The idea is a more extreme program of murder that doesn't sort of just wait on all the birthing things, but just throw the babies in the now. It's increasing frustration, increasing threat is being felt by Pharaoh. And then, of course, in the story, as you read it, there's this one Hebrew son, Moses, who survives this program of murder. That's kind of the summary of the story. Now, there's, there's something that we're supposed to notice as I talk about the increasing suffering and the increasing maniacal evil plans of Pharaoh. 
there's supposed to be something we notice here. And the thing we're supposed to notice is a question. Well, well, where's, where's the Lord? I mean, we only get one mentioned that he deals well with the midwives. But, but what is he doing while Pharaoh carries out this program of murder? What does what is he doing while Pharaoh continues to oppress and press down God's people? Like, what is the Lord doing when this poor um, baby boy is thrown into the Nile down a river? What's going on? Where is the Lord? See, when we read a story like this and we don't see the Lord really acting in ways in which we think he ought, so we might be tempted to think that his unconventional ways is his being unconcerned with their plight. It's not. We might be tempted to think his hidden ways of working is his absence, but it's not. We might be tempted to think his slow ways of dealing or somehow um, his idleness, but it's, it's not the case. It is not the case because of the hidden ways that he is at work that is absolutely turning everything Pharaoh has planned upside down. This is the second part of the sermon. I want to highlight these things for you. Pharaoh has one intention, and the way in which the Lord completely upside down turns that intention into something beautiful instead. Now, from a storytelling standpoint, this is called dramatic irony. When something's happening that's ironic, and us as readers know that there's more going on than even the characters themselves know. Like, for example, as we see Pharaoh in this kind of murderous rage. See, you and I know the rest of the story. By the way, God's people end up escaping from Egypt. I hope I didn't spoil that for you. That's gonna end up happening 14 chapters from now. And, and we know, we, we know that, see? And we know that all the things Pharaoh's doing is kind of ironic because every single thing Pharaoh tries, our Lord turns it exactly upside down in order to do something good and beautiful. Let me just highlight some of the features of this. See, in, in verse 10, in verse 10, Pharaoh says, let's enslave the people of Israel because if we don't enslave them, they will escape. And the truth is that being enslaved will only increase it will only increase their numbers, and they will, in fact, be led on the most epic escape in history. He wants to enslave them so they can't escape, but it's because he enslaves them, and they grow in number, and the Lord sees and notices their situation that they will absolutely escape. See, it turns out backwards than what Pharaoh designed. In verse 16, Pharaoh's like, let's kill all the male sons. The idea is anybody who could be in the military to, to rise up against me, let's eliminate them. But isn't it ironic that it is the daughters of Israel, the ones that are allowed to live, it is daughters of Israel. It is these faithful daughters of Israel, the midwives. It is Moses' own mother, we learn her name later, is Jochebed. We learn that it's Moses' sister Miriam. They are the ones who turn Pharaoh's plans upside down in order that a son would be delivered who would end up being the deliverer of God's people. 
It's interesting, in verse 22, Pharaoh is angry and he's mad and he says, throw every, all of them, just throw them all into the Nile. But isn't it ironic that Moses' mother does actually do that? She throws him into the Nile, but that Nile River, rather than being a means of destruction, will become the means of deliverance for Moses. Would you believe me if I told you that when Moses is placed in this basket by his mother, the word here for basket is the, is the same word in Genesis of the ark that Noah rides in. See, the very means that is supposed to be a means of destruction becomes a means of God's deliverance. He goes on, kill all the male sons, throw them in, a, in the Nile because I don't want my household to crumble. I don't want my dynasty to crumble. But it is a member of Pharaoh's own household, Pharaoh's daughter, who saves the deliverer who will completely and utterly crumble Pharaoh's house. He goes on and on like this. Egyptian royalty heeds the advice of a Hebrew girl. Moses, and being thrown into the Nile, and it's, it's intended to strip him of his Hebrew identity, but his own mother, ironically, gets to raise him and nurse him. He will go into the house of Pharaoh, but he'll be perfectly equipped in that scenario in order to raise up God's people. An Egyptian princess in this story, of all people, does the very thing that the Lord will do for the people of Israel, which is draw them out of the water to safety. Why am I telling you all this? It's a good story, right? But the reason I'm telling you this is because the, this way of God working in this world happens to be all of our hope. So we have summarized the story. We've talked about these hidden ways that God is turning Pharaoh's plans exactly upside down. And I'm telling you that because that is how he is at work in your life and my life also. See, it's, it's the way God works. And you're gonna hear me say this again and again and again and again as we travel through the book of Exodus. Exodus is meant to show us God's modus operandi, his way of working. And God's way of working, it sometimes is slow, it often is hidden, it's always unconventional, but he's always doing that work in even some of the darkest and most difficult situations. Every single thing that the enemy, in this case, Pharaoh, intends for destruction, the Lord turns it upside down exactly he turns it upside down exactly in order to bring redemption because his promises and his purposes and his plans cannot be stopped. And I have to tell you, this is the way he is at work in your life also. So you see, I, I cannot possibly know your situation this morning. I can't necessarily know the uncertainty, the things that are quaking and shaking, 
the fear, the struggle, the pain, the difficulty, the darkness. But what I can tell you most certainly is the Lord is never not working. He's always at work, even in those dark places. The same hymn by Cooper says, Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take, because the clouds you so much dread are big with mercy, and they end up breaking and dropping blessings on your head. See, we serve this same Lord who does these same things. And it's never more on display than when a tiny, helpless baby is, of course, not put into an ark to go down the Nile. But he's placed in a manger, and that baby in that manger is actually the king of kings and the lord of lords because the Lord is always at work in hidden ways, unconventional ways. And it's the same Jesus who, who grows up, and his story is told as if it's a retelling of the story of Israel in so many ways. He has to escape the murderous plot of Herod. He has to escape to Egypt in order to do it. He has to be drawn out of Egypt. He goes into the waters of his baptism. He wanders in the wilderness for 40 days to be tested. Jesus' story is told as if it's a retelling of the story of Israel. And this Jesus, of course, goes to the cross in order to defeat the power of evil, sin, and death. See, when the kings and the powers and the evil and the darkness decides to try to threaten God's purposes and plans. It's that death on the cross that actually becomes their undoing. And the scriptures say that he triumphs over them, even on the cross. And of course, in the most upside down thing ever, when he goes into the dark, deep tomb of death, of course, he comes out resurrected and alive. This is just the way our God works. Often hidden, often slow, always unconventional, but never not working. If this is the truth, and I do believe it is, if this is the truth, then of course we're gonna have to think a little bit about our life. So, so, so for example, if we're not convinced that this is the way that God often works, we might be tempted to be suspicious of him. So we might be tempted to think that his unconventional ways are equal to him being cruel or unconcerned. We might be tempted to think his hidden ways are his absence. In other words, we're going to have to have Faith, because we often can't see things clearly. But see, even he promises faith as a gift to us. So we, we might be tempted to think his slowness is his idleness. In other words, we're going to have to trust him to build within us patience. And it's a gift of his very spirit that he promises to give patience to his people as we endure. I don't know exactly 
what your situation is, but I can assure you, I can assure you that the Lord is, is always working. He's never not working to accomplish his perfect plans. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that we would take courage and hope from this story, this old, old story. Lord, we ask that you would use it to increase our faith. Lord, that you would use it to give us assurance. Lord, that you would use it to build within us patience and endurance. That you would give to us faith when we can't see clearly. Lord, we pray that you'd be at work among us in these same ways. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.